Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Sure, this will probably end up being another in a long line of emotionally crippling misadventures, but let's try to have some fun along the way. Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, so I camp there that night, wake up early, strike out at like 4 a.m. Thinking I got this. I don't look at my charts that carefully because I got this. And turns didn't out- didn't, didn't they float away? No, that was a tide table. That was a tide table, okay. All I right. had my charts. And I had two GPSs, I was not getting lost. Okay. I, I was making all these bad decisions intentionally. Um, so I make another bad decision to go offshore into the Gulf of Mexico in an 18-foot Kevlar canoe by myself at 4 a.m. in the dark. Uh, you know, what could fun. go wrong? What could go wrong? Right. Well, what could go wrong is I ran aground a mile and a half offshore. So I'm headed south out of North Captiva, and there's a huge sandbar that extends between North Captiva and South Captiva. It's clearly marked on the charts. Everybody knows about it, except for me, who doesn't look on the chart before I leave in the morning, like an idiot. So it's dark. I'm paddling via headlamp. Uh, and I mean, I'm on dry sand. Uh, and I'm so far from shore, the lights on the houses on shore look, look like Lego houses, you know, like tiny little houses far away. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Thank <laughs> you.
Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and... If you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, whom I met uh, via an exchange of emails, uh, I think based from our our website. Uh, I find out that he is a loyal, longtime listener. He's listened to most of the episodes of the John Freaking Muir Pod, so already I'm a big fan of his. Uh, And he has some stories to tell us, some outdoor adventure stories. I like to compare outdoor adventure to a tree. Because there are many branches to outdoor adventure. You know, we, we spend a lot of our time on, on the big main branch of through hiking and, and uh, hiking out in the outdoors, multi-day hiking, day hiking. But there are a lot of other types of outdoor adventure that we have covered. We've talked to polar explorers. We've talked to big wall climbers. We've talked to long distance bicycle racers. So uh, we're going we're gonna to take another little side trip down a, another branch and hear about a different type of outdoor adventure tonight. And so please welcome to the pod, Brian Sheridan. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good, Doc. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. How, I, I'm curious, how did you discover the podcast? So uh, as you know, I, I compete in uh, sort of long distance paddling events for which, you know, they're essentially event, adventure races. So you have to carry the same gear that uh, hikers, you know, a tent, a stove, a sleep system, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, and I had a bit of a hiking background, but uh, started looking into sort of the ultralight, uh, you know, YouTube videos and whatever, and uh, came across the the John Muir pod from my research and trying to learn how to lighten up my my gear, and you know, really really enjoyed the sort of the, the you know, relaxed wholesome nature of the podcast and just started listening to all the episodes. Wholesome. I've been called many things. Wholesome is, is a rarity, but I'll take it. You know, it's just, it's a, it's not super produced. It's just, you know, some guys talking about outdoor stuff. And I like that. That's right. That's right. And I like to think of this uh, not only as a wilderness or an outdoor adventure podcast, but also a human interest type podcast. Cause we get into a lot of stories and the stories behind the people out there, which I, I think is, uh, has a big draw for me. I, I really like talking to people and hearing their backstory and how they came to be involved in what they're doing. So. Well, not only the John John Muir pod, but uh, I also listened to uh, Solitude, the your other podcast for uh, alone. My my favorite show on TV. Yes, outstanding show. I mean, it is primetime TV. The characters they put out there, in addition to their their survival skills, really makes for for riveting uh, TV. And I am hooked, just like you are. So, thanks for tuning yeah. into that one as well. Absolutely, great, great show. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, Brian, in all the time that you have been on uh, the trail, have you picked up or in outdoor adventure, have you picked up a trail name? Is that is that a thing with with uh, canoes and paddling? Kind of. Um, so the group that puts on the race that I participate in called the Everglades Challenge is put on by a group called the uh, Water Tribe. And so to join to join the Water Tribe and compete in an event, you have to choose your own your own name. Now, initially you choose your own name, but, uh, in my 
most recent like long distance paddle in the Everglades. I did it with several of the guys who compete in the race. And uh, so I was recently bestowed a new name from the original one I chose, which is Buffalo Soldier. Uh, and that's sort of a, you know, two or three part thing. Uh, I do enjoy the occasional uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon, uh, especially after a long, hard day of paddling. Uh, and I'm a, a bigger guy. I'm, I'm, you know, 6'2", 295, maybe 300, uh, you know, former you know, Texas high school football player, power lifter. And so uh, on this, yeah, most, most recent long distance battle, I was bestowed the, I guess, you know, not really trail, but. Uh, the stream paddling. name, stream yeah. name, river name. Stream, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. Okay. Whatever you want to call it, tribe, tribe name technically. Okay. Now, if there is an emergency, we've talked about this in the podcast before. You know, if you, you remember uh, my talk with 127, whose trail name was 127 hours, and we talked about right. uh, the difficulty of in an emergency getting all those syllables out. I mean, is there an abbreviation to Buffalo Soldier? Uh, you can just call me BS. Oh, I like it. Brian Sheridan, BS. Buffalo Soldier, BS. Yeah. Bullshit, BS. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I see a trend. All right. I was going to go, I was going to go with Buff or, Buffalo, I don't know, but uh, BS, yeah, I like BS. Yeah. All right, very good. And before right, I- I've also been up to the uh, occasional, uh, you know, feet of strength, picking up heavy objects. Uh, so okay, now you were a power lifter. What was what was your what was your personal record? Oh, uh, you know, it's been twenty plus years, so I'm not one hundred percent sure. I know I was in the. Uh, so in high school, we had these shirts that said thousand pound club, which meant that you were. I was going to say, if you're not sure, adjust upwards, you know, inflate <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. yeah. We're telling uh, stories here. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I can tell you for sure by my sophomore year of high school, my bench squat and deadlift combined was over a thousand pounds. All right. I'm just used to lifting, uh, you know, eight ounces at a time. So. Or 16. Or 16. Yeah. Depending. Depending and football, Texas, Texas football player. What, what position did you play? Defensive tackle. Okay. Got after that. Got after the quarterback in the, in the, uh, once or twice in the pocket there. Very good. Very good. There you go. There's the very good. <laughs> hey, well, any, any favorite episodes of the podcast so far? Yeah. Uh, I like, uh, the mile, mile and a half guys. Yeah. I like the, to measure a mile guys. I've seen, you know, both those films. Uh, and then, uh, ginger balls is also pretty entertaining. He's always a good, a good interview. Yeah. He, he is, he is real life, man. He is a lot of fun to talk to. And I got to meet him in person when I went down and met him yeah. in, in, in Playa del Rey, which uh, was a lot of fun. And my only regret is I was down there with him and I said goodbye after the interview and got in my car and I said, I didn't take a selfie with the guy. I don't have a picture of the guy. I mean, what, what was I thinking? You got a Facebook that man. Come on. I know. I know. Um, Chris Carter to measure a mile, you know, uh, he is out on the, on the continental divide trail right now. And he's going to get, oh. he's going to get to the top. He's going South to North. And as soon as he finishes that, he's going over to the AT and going Southbound on the AT. Yeah. And yeah. He, I, I heard that episode. Yeah. 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 In he's, a single year. Yeah. He's going to do both in a single year to try and become a, a triple crowner. So really wish him That's the best out there. Right there. Yeah, for sure. That's a lot of walking. Dude. Okay. So now we have your, your trail name established BS. Uh, you know, we go by trail name strictly here on the podcast. So you're BS I'm doc. 
And uh, since you are a longtime loyal listener, you know all about the pro tip insight of the week. I'm going to turn to you at the end of the episode and ask you for, for a, a nugget of wisdom that you can share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So be prepared for that. Definitely. Okay. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, outdoor vitals. And here's how it works. As you know, I'm sure if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So BS, what is your must bring piece of gear? And you can apply this to a multi-day hike, or you could, you could apply it to the, you know, the paddling world. I'm, I'm interested yeah. in, in either or both. Yeah. Um, so for a hike or a paddle, um, rest is important. Sleep is important. And specifically on paddles, because sometimes you end up sleeping on docks, which are, you know, hard, hardened wood. So uh, I like the Sea to Summit Ether uh, XL rectangular sleep pad. Uh, I was a... Uh, long time Thermarest guy. Because mm-hmm. um, my big thing was like the last thing you want to do when you get back to the camp is, you know, hyperventilate yourself trying to blow up a, you know, thick air pad. Um, but this Ether Light pad, the stuff sack turns into a pump. So you connect the stuff sack to the, to the, to the uh, pad and just, you know, keep it a fair distance from your mouth. Just give it a good, just a good blow. And in five breaths, you can fill up a three and a half uh, inch thick uh, pad that is super comfortable and zero potato chip bag effect. Like it doesn't, there's no crinkling as you roll left and right. I'm a tosser and a turner. Very good. Three and a half inches thick. That is, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of cushion that, that is very helpful. And I, I really appreciate that it's not potato chip bag because those drive me crazy. I'm with you. I'm with you. I nearly left. So when you paddle on the Everglades, you literally sleep on these things called a chicky, which is like a 15 by 15 dock with a, like a tin roof. And there's two of them usually side by side in the middle. There's a porta john. So, you know, the, the park service rents them out like to up to 12 people. So you could show up and there's already, you know, half a dozen folks on said dock. So you're often tent to tent, you know, with strangers and we're, you know, in the middle of nowhere in the Everglades. And this guy had a, you know, one of the potato chip pads. I didn't get a, I didn't get a wink of sleep. Just (laughs) rolls over. (laughs) Terrible. And you have to wonder, does the guy not hear that? I mean, I've, I've camped, I've camped with guys who have potato chip bag and I'm like, how do they not know that they're annoying the entire campground? I mean, it is. So I was talking noise in the morning. I was a little fired up, had a cup of coffee and like no sleep and uh, had, you know, a, a, like a, a potato chip bag from my trash and was just like, you hear that? You know, and uh, he's like, no, I have earplugs. I don't, I didn't hear it at all. Man, I would not, I would not want to be in camp with a fired up Buffalo soldier. Watch out, man. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you got your coffee going. Watch out. Yeah. All right. So tell me, tell me about the gear that you would bring for a, a paddle versus the gear that you would bring on a multi-day, multi-day hike. Is are they similar? Is there overlap? Or are they completely different? hundred, like, uh, almost the same. 
Okay. Uh, big differences are you can't filter salt out of water. So they, like don't, they, they don't have, they don't have that kind of filter yet. I mean, they exist like a reverse osmosis, but I mean like the pressure that you have to apply to, you know, reverse osmosis water filters look like a 15 pound bicycle pump. Like mm -hmm. the amount of pressure you got to push down on these things to squeeze out, you know, a quart of water is unbelievable. So you take all your water with you. So when I leave, let's say the Northern end of uh, 10,000 Island park to enter um, Everglades national park, which is a hundred mile section of just Everglades. There's no roads, there's no docks, there's no towns, nothing. I'll leave with, you know, 25 to 35 liters in, in, uh, you know, bladders in my boat, but you know, the food's the same, uh, tent, you gotta have a, uh, no trekking pole tents. Cause you gotta have a, uh, a, a self or, you know, a, a, a tent with, with poles. Cause you can't, there's no, you can't put a stake in on the, uh, chickies and you, you know, obviously you don't have trekking poles with you, but uh, so you need a, you know, a self, self, uh, in, not inflated, but a, a, a tent with poles and you got to bring all your own water. And then obviously your paddling gear is a little different. So, you know, you're going to have, if it's cold out, you're going to have waterproof, uh, tops at least. And, you know, some people wear full immersion suits. And then also because there's, you know, it's a little bit more dangerous to paddle than it is to, uh, to walk in the woods. Uh, we usually carry redundant safety devices. So I'll carry a spot on my jacket and an EPIRB, which is a emergency position radio indicating beacon. Uh, but basically a, a, a help button that works anywhere. I like EPIRB. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, essentially the same gear. Just Okay. And you carry a bit more redundancy. Uh, just just because rescue is much more difficult. It's not like you can walk to a road and look for cell phone signal and, and get pulled out. You know, you're if you're uh, in the middle, you're 50 miles from anywhere. And, you know, the only really feasible rescue is either maybe you get some cell phone signal, but probably not, uh, which means your only real way of communication is, you know, if you happen to have a an inReach or, you know, some sort of satellite communication, you can text for help. But uh, otherwise it's coast guard. Yeah. You've got to have some kind of GPS device because otherwise if you're just calling oh, yeah, on a yeah. cell I, phone, I, you're like, I, you're like, Hey, I'm, I, I, I'm in the swamp. I'm by the, I'm by the tree near the water. That's, that's where I am. And that covers yeah. pretty much the entire Everglades. How are they going to find you? Right. Right. I'm on an Island in yeah. 10,000 Island state park, you know, 10,000 Island national or state park, you know, which Island? I don't know. There's 10,000. BS. I have to tell you that the Everglades freak me out. I mean, that, it, it, it sounds like a nightmare scenario and we're going to get into some stories from yeah. the Everglades, but I have talked to a few guests that have done the Florida trail. Uh, I remember talking to mountain, mountain, mountain cat, I think it was her, her trail name mountain cat who picked up a boyfriend on the AT who was from Florida and he convinced her to do the, the Florida trail and they were and hiking Jupiter too. and Jupiter. That's right. And they were hiking in, in waist deep water and, I, I could I could not bring myself to do that knowing that there are gators out there. So that that's just wild. I can't wait to hear some of your some of your stories. Yeah. It's a little different in a boat, though. I mean, first of all, your feet are dry, but uh, and gators are less of a deal if you're not physically you know swimming or wading. 
you know, they're not. Okay. A lot different in a boat. I'll take you. Though. I, I live in Florida. I live like very close to the Florida Trail. No interest in doing the waist deep walking past gator part. No thanks. Yeah. Mountain Cat's boyfriend convinced her that, oh yeah, they're not interested in people. Don't worry about it. I said, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that's right. They really kind of aren't. I mean, uh, one big exception though is uh, like right now, like August, September, which is like alligator mating season. And while they're not trying to eat you, they're super duper territorial. So many a times uh, paddling this time of year, you'll get gators that'll swim right next to you and, you know, thrash their tail or like whack the side of your boat. Not because they're trying to eat you, but they're, you know, view you as a threat and they're trying to, you know, scare you off so you don't, uh, you know, endanger their breeding, you know, possibilities. Well, it would work with me. One tail slap and I'm out of there. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely wake you up at, uh, you know, zero dark 30 via headlamp and you get your, your bow whacked. Man, crazy. All right. Hey, we're going to back up a little bit before we get too far down the trail. We're going to talk about your origin story, how you got involved in outdoor adventure, where you grew up. You know, if outdoor, uh, the outdoor experience was part of uh, your childhood, your family traditions. But before we do, uh, this is going to air, I believe, in middle of September, late September, September 25th, um, this episode. So alone will be over by then. But I want to hear your prediction for who's going to win alone. We've got three contestants left with uh, Biko, Clay, and Teresa. Who, who's your pick and why? Well, my top two are clearly Biko and Clay. Uh, Biko because he's mentally tough and he's got the weight to lose. Clay because he's got all the supplies and the food. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see which which right. one of those scenarios plays out better. Right, and I think it's about if Clay kills something else, it's done. Oh yeah, yeah. If because he was looking skinny, I mean, you know, nine minutes to get dressed. I don't know, man. That, that sounds like starvation to me. That's right. And, and for the 50 pounds of deer meat that they have been talking about that he has, right. I haven't seen him eat any of it. So I, I, I don't know. All, okay. Rewind. Sorry to divulge, but go ahead. All right. So if I'm starving in the woods, I'm throwing no part of that deer away. Like I'm, you know, running the, you know, intestines through a river. I'm, I'm saving it all. I'm eating, you know, I'm having haggis, you know, like, Dear stomach haggis, you know, I'm throwing none of that away. I'm boiling the bones. I'm boiling the hooves. Like I'm getting all the calories, squeezing all the calories out of that deer. Yeah. And we didn't see any, I mean, I don't want to judge a guy without knowing, but I, yeah. you know, didn't make the, you know, maybe all that's B-roll who knows, but yeah, I think Biko would have brought back 150 pounds of that deer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think he's yeah, right. Sure he's right there with you. And the hide, I would, uh, you know, had boiled brain soup. A lot of fat in the brain. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't yeah. be, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd be cracking open marrow, roasted, roasted marrow over, yeah. you know, beef jerky toast. Yeah. I've been called a fathead before. So I think that rings true. You know? Yeah. Same. <laughs> All right. So Biko or Clay, uh, both of them. I'm saying have, Clay. I'm saying Clay. Just You're going to go with Clay. Pure pure resources. Yeah. I feel connected to Biko. He was on the show. I, I was able yeah. to talk to him. He was very cool. Uh, I'm pulling, I'm pulling for Biko. My heart, my heart's going with Biko. And two young kids on the way. Like they, they, they could use a half a million. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, we'll see how it all plays out. All right. Let's get back to, uh, let's get back to the John freaking your pod. 
what, uh, wh- where'd you grow up and was the outdoor experience part of uh, your family experience? So I grew up in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, and I was very fortunate to have uh, two parents that took me out in the woods from a, a very young age. Uh, I was, you know, camping in Oklahoma before I can remember. Um, so a hundred percent outdoors was, you know, part of my, part of my upbringing, part of, uh, who I was, I was in scouts. Um, and, uh, and then later was a camper at a, 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 a Methodist, uh, camp in Colorado out of the, I like my local Methodist church mm-hmm. later became a counselor, um, at the same camp. Um, it was based at the, the, uh, sort of the, it was part of a, um, Rocky Mountain Adventure Camp, which is run by a Mennonite church, but we sort of rented it, but it's right at the base of Pikes Peak. So by, you know, 10th grade, I'd hiked up Pikes Peak probably six or eight times. So definitely grew up outdoors, outdoorsy, and I'm super thankful for my parents for doing that. And I'm trying to pass it along. I try nice. to take my two girls out camp as much as I can. Very good. A couple questions. What What is camping like in Oklahoma? When I, when I, I don't have a good mental picture of of what oklahoma is like i just think of the dust bowl so i you know what, no what, no what, well, t- okay. tell me about it yeah part of oklahoma is super duper flat dust bowl but that's like western oklahoma okay southeastern oklahoma or you know directly above dallas is you know rolling hills maybe in mountains piney forests you know okay yeah beautiful beautiful okay. uh shout out to broken bow state park in broken bow oklahoma beautiful check it out bs already starting with the shout outs very good i, I like it i like it <laughs> and how did you end up moving from uh, austin to, to to colorado well so i grew up in dallas and the camp the, the summer camp that i went to was based out of colorado okay so, so it was just summer summers got it okay so this is just a you know like a, a methodist church uh, based camp out of dallas that went to Colorado for, you know, a week every summer. So parents, parents sent you there for, for a few weeks so they could have a break from you. Right. Got it. Yeah. Send him, send me to the woods though. If you're going to have a break, you may as well send your kids to the woods, right? That's right. That's right. It's the best place to send them. Yeah. So, and and the camp sort of progressively got more adventurous, you know, uh, elementary school, you basically stay in camp. The, um, you know, the, the, ultimate day is the last day of camp and you hike from the camp to Pikes Peak, which is from 9,000 feet to 14,000 feet. So, you know, basically a vertical mile and I think like 12 or 14 miles linear, which for, you know, a seventh, sixth grader, fifth grader, that's a big deal. Big deal. And yeah, into, into high school, you get a bit more adventurous. You start backpacking uh, and then in backpack, you know, like they call it senior high backpacking camp. Uh, the plan was to do a double 14er. There's two. So we went into the collegiate mountains, um, also 14ers. We were supposed to summit Mount Harvard and Mount Columbia in the same day. They're like saddled together and then head back down. You know, we were camped at like an Alpine Lake. I think it was called Bear Lake or something. So it's part of the college visit program. No, this is high school. Like, like, uh, no, I know, but you were high school students and you're visiting the collegiate. Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. But, uh, we ended up only going up Harvard, uh, lightning storm, uh, 
but still amazing experience. Um, I think it was a four, four night overnight backpacking trip, but I'm talking to old school gear, like aluminum frame, external packs, you know, like 10 pound tents. Uh, there was no such thing as a Sawyer squeeze, you know, pump, pump filters, leather boots, blue jeans, you know. See, you have to go through stuff like that to appreciate what we have today. Yeah, I know. I know. The uh, <laughs> context. Exactly. Like the 60 pound pack is not unheard of in 1994. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you started that story about how, you know, there were activities as for elementary school, and then it kind of got, uh, you know, more advanced as you, as you, as you got older, I was thinking, you know, high school, it was like Lord of the Flies out there, but you didn't go that <laughs> way. You, you... <laughs> yeah. All right. So the character I am in the Lord of the Flies. Okay. Okay. All right. We won't, we won't speculate, 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 speculate. Um, so what do you, what do you do now, now to pay the bills and tell us about your family? So I'm a a Marine engineer, uh, and I work at a yacht fabrication company. Basically we fix, uh, you know, a hundred foot and larger, primarily middle hull private yachts. Okay. You say re-engineer. I've heard of engineers. What's a re-engineer? Marine. Oh, Marine. 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 Yeah. Got it. I just heard the re re-engineer. Like you're you're fixing stuff. You're doing it Use better. You're taking somebody else's stuff and you're doing it better. Try it. Yeah. Well, this is this is interesting because my sister, not the one who always uh, likes to chime in on the, on the pod about the about the podcast, but my younger sister, uh, she currently lives in a boatyard in Mexico with her husband, and they are fixing fixing up their boat. They're taking this time, this COVID time, to really take advantage of the cheap living expenses down there. I think it's $300 a month uh, to be able to live there and work. They can do the work, their own work on the boat. They don't have to use boatyard uh, employees. What, what yard? Uh, that's a good question. I'll have to. Pacific I'll, Coast? Pacific Mexico? It's on the Gulf side somewhere. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. That could be interesting. Yeah, but they have a 40, 40 foot sailboat, I believe. Okay. That they're basically redoing the complete hull. And they have plans to, you know, sail to Hawaii and eventually, you know, around the world. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if we 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 can get any marine questions answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During the podcast here, pass right. the uh, engineering context on. Yep. And you said daughters. Yeah, I have I have two two daughters, a three year old and a six year old. Three and six. Okay. Yes. Which means I get to enjoy. 13 and 16 at the same time, 14 and 17 at the same time. Congratulations. Mm, looking forward to that. <laughs> you are outnumbered, my good man. I am. I'm outnumbered with the gingers too. My, oh, uh, my wife's it? a redhead and my oldest is also a redhead. So. Okay. Yeah. And fiery temperament or? Uh... Oh, no, they're, you know, Zen Buddhist monks. Okay. At least that's what we're going to say on the podcast. <laughs> Very good. You're a wise man. <laughs> All right. And so uh, let's start talking about some of some of your adventures. What uh, how, how did you get started? Did it start with hiking or did it start with paddling or how, how did that all come about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously I mentioned, uh, you know, hiking in high school, um, went to Texas A&M, uh, had an interesting trip immediately following college, 
using my same backpacking gear that I had from the 90s, uh, my roommate and I decided to go for a Big Bend National State, you know, Big Bend National Hike, which is a, uh, you know, one of the larger national parks sort of in the western edge of Texas. But it's, it's desert. Um, and the, it's sort of the tail end of the, the Rockies end up in, you know, southern, southwestern Texas and end up in New Mexico, actually. So uh, we literally just went to my storage unit, grabbed my high school gear, which at that point is, you know, eight, 10 years old, um, loaded up, no planning, no information, no nothing. Uh, and just, you know, strike out West for, for, El, you know, towards El Paso. Logistics, majestics. Don't yeah. need any of that right, stuff. Right. 24 bulletproof. We got this. Don't worry about it. You know, uh, you know, the website has like three pages of warnings about heat and, you know, no water and blah, you know, ah, we got this. So, uh, you were a defensive end and a power lifter. You don't need any. Right, of that yeah. Come good, on. Good, good. I just graduated college. I got this. <laughs> and, uh, so this is a 30 mile loop with no giant heights. Like it's no, you know, John Muir trail, you know, 12,000 foot passes, but it's a whole lot of, you know, four five, 6,000 foot, uh, up and downs, which is good enough. And it's in pretty serious desert. Uh, so there's no water. So it, you can drive to that. We did this outer loop, I think it's called, or, or not hundred percent sure, but this is 20 years ago. Anyways, at mile 20, you can drive to like an abandoned ranch site and cache water, which you have to do because it's physically impossible to carry three days of desert water through 30 miles. Uh, so we cache, you know, we, sh- of course, tough to carry that water when you're not in your canoe. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. fresh water in salt water is actually buoyant. So um, anyways, we, we get there late, of course, don't listen to the Rangers. Don't read any of the literature. Uh, cash our day of food and, you know, a, a, probably too small amount of water. I think we cash like five gallons or, you know, three gallons in like a hard plastic container. It's night. We just toss our water underneath some mesquite tree, you know, maybe, maybe tie it up or something along with our last day of food. And it's awesome. We're high five and, you know, everything's sweet. Start the trail uh first day is awesome again you know invincible 24 i think we did like two or three miles of side trail along with our uh 10 or 12 miles of hiking uh great first day second day you know wake up a little sore not so invincible and during the second day we went down you know much like southern california you know, the valleys are where it's really hot and there's all the cactus and it's super dry. And then on the mountains, it's, you know, almost foresty because that's where all the water is from the mist. And so you get these, you know, like islands of forests in the middle of the middle of the desert. Yeah. Sky islands as Barney, right. Barney Scout man uh, calls them. Yeah. Yeah. Say very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Anyways, during the second day, I popped my uh, thermorest, you know, whacking it on a cactus or something. Uh, so don't sleep much the second night, third night or third day, get up. Uh, we have just enough water to make it. And of course, first thing I do is make like a, you know, a one liter tea for 
you know, breakfast and proceeded to spill the whole thing. Oh, no. So I'm like gone from just enough water to one liter down. Uh, we make it through the second day. We get lost on a river. Like, you know, the, the trail enters like a dry riverbed. And we're just hiking down the dry riverbed. Don't notice the right-hand turn to leave the dry riverbed. End up walking past it. You know, it didn't have a GPS with us. By the time we figure out where we're at, it's a few miles past, you know, maybe a mile or two past where we're supposed to turn, turn back. So a 10-mile day turns into like a 12 or 14-mile day. Um, I basically run out of water, you know, an hour before we get to our cache. And we're waiting, you know, because we got all our heavy, tasty food sitting at the cache that we don't have to carry, you know, cans of cans of meat and, you know, all kind of like as you would do. Uh-huh. And uh, we show up, it's dark. And there's just disaster everywhere. Like I see ripped up pieces of my dinner, you know, 50 yards before we get to where we left our food. You know, we show up to the mesquite tree where we hung our uh plastic uh water container and it's just a mud pile you know either wolves or coyotes probably coyotes got into it uh ripped all our food up punctured our water container we had you know maybe two or three liters uh you know out of out of what we cashed we're exhausted you know not good salvage the water we can get i mean i, I literally picked up a you know, half-eaten granola bar, you know, coyote saliva be damned and just downed it right there. Uh, I was basically out of food. My buddy I was with, I knew he had a bit more food than me, but, you know, he was skinny, probably needed it. That may, that BS that may qualify as the Roland Welker moment, the woodsiest <laughs> moment of the episode, eating the granola bar with the coyote, coyote saliva on it. Yeah. Nice. Could very, be. Very good. Anyway, so the, uh, the next day sucked, no water, very little food. Um, you know, I'm hiking behind this skinny kid knowing he's got like two granola bars hidden. that he didn't, he didn't mention when we were splitting up the food, you know, I'm thinking murderous thoughts about, you know, I could, I could push him down the hill and nobody would see. You could take him. You could take him. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, we finished, uh, lesson learned. Don't run out of food when you're hiking. It sucks. And uh, second lesson, don't run out of water when you're hiking, especially in the desert, also sucks. But uh, anyway, so that was kind of the 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 last time I really, really went hiking. Um, <laughs> I can I can see why. <laughs> That's not a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so you so, had, had all the answers. No no logistics needed. Uh, you went out there yeah. comp, very confident. You had this thing licked and uh things didn't quite go as planned they, they nor the normally they 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 rarely go as planned but yours took a couple of serious side trips there that's uh that's scary stuff yeah well and it, it, you know uh you know before our talk i went and looked at the website you know big ben national there's literally a page and a half of warnings about uh and by the way this is not a rip on big ben we were just idiots there was like secure metal storage boxes right there. We just walked past them. But uh, there's a page and a half of warnings about like, don't do everything that I did in 2004. Okay. It's almost like a pro tip right there. Uh, you know. Okay. 
I'm not, I, got, I got a good one. I'll, I'll keep it. Okay. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about uh, this thing called the Everglades Challenge. We're going to get into the swamps of the Everglades and hear some stories I cannot wait. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Mearpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. All right. Welcome back. We're talking to BS. Heard about his experience growing up and his uh, adventures in Big Bend National Park. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of the Everglades. You know, in my mind, uh, Everglades... Um, have you ever been on the, the Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland or Disney, Disney World? Yeah. yeah so that, the, the first part of that, that boat ride through the, the bayous, that's kind of, I think, probably an inaccurate uh, mental image that I have of, of the Everglades. But uh, so tell, tell me about um, the Everglades Challenge. What is that all about? And how old were you when you decided to do this? So uh, I grew up racing sailboats. Uh, I was a skipper of the offshore sailing team at Texas Maritime Academy. So I've kind of been in the competitive sailboat racing world for a while. And uh, the Everglades Challenge is a race of a variety of different craft. Anything from pure paddle boats, no sail, like a regular kayak, all the way to hardcore purpose-built racing sailboats. Kevlar sails, I mean like you know, think America's cup, but only a foot deep of water. Um, and then everything in between. So there's a, there's a, a few rules and an immense amount of safety guidelines. Uh, like a page, like a, are, like a page and a half of safety guidelines, like big Ben uh, like, national park. Like I'm talking a five page safety equipment checkoff list that a, uh, experienced racer, physically comes to your boat and make you have to lay out all your gear the day before and they go through and check it all. And then depending on how you answer your safety questions, we'll make you load all your stuff in your boat and then go out and perform like self-rescue maneuvers 
Like if, if you don't, if you don't seem prepared, they'll make you go out, load all your stuff up, flip your boat, right your boat in, you know, deeper water than you can stand up in and then recover your boat and get back to shore. Prove it, right? Prove, prove it. Prove, right? prove, prove you can do it. So you couldn't ignore these safety regulations. No, they're very serious about safety. Okay. And uh, DQ people at the start. Like if you, if you try and launch your boat and you uh, show a lack of ability to control your craft, they'll, they'll, you know, somebody will pull you aside and say, it's time to, time to head to shore. Sorry. Your race is over. Yeah. BS. I've got, I've got, I've got a documentary for you before I forget along those very lines. Have you seen deep water? Deep water. No deep water, not, not deep water horizon, but it's, it's deep water. It's a black and white documentary. I think it might be on YouTube. Uh, it's about this guy in England who was running out of money and there was this around the world sailboat race oh. that he entered uh, to try and get financial backers. He, he passed himself off as an expert uh, yachtsman. And in reality, he was not, but he, he raised enough money from these investors and he had to go through with it. And so he ends up in this around the world race. Yes. And it is a story. Let me tell you, you need to look that up. I think you'd really enjoy that one. Okay. I'll check it out. Okay. I've read a, a book about a guy in the same race called Bernard Messetier. Uh, his, his book was called The Long Way Around. Uh, but it's the same. The Fast Net Race is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't it? Or is it the Volvo Ocean Race, right? The previous. Anyways, moving on. Yes, go ahead. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. That's all good. The uh, so Every Good Challenge is a race of either one person or two person teams. Uh, if you're an outrigger canoe, you can have three, I believe. Um, now I am a newbie rookie by no means the spokesman of the Everglades challenge. I've done, I've attempted the race once. There are people that have completed it like 10 times in my book. You're an expert BS. Ah. Yeah. And um, so you can use, I mean, the competitors might be in different types of boats, different 100%. teams. That- the, the start, the start line is a, a, a spectacle of Marine craft. There's no standardization. You have, you have, you have options. So there's five different classes of boats. uh, And, and they vary from, like I said, a pure paddle boat is like um, class two, I think. And then you can have like a recreational uh, regular kayak or canoe that has a small sail and the sail area is limited. And then you can have sort of, you know, multi-hull bigger sail also, you know, like a, are you familiar with a Hobie tandem island? It's no, a, not at all. a canoe with a, a, a sit on top plastic Hobie canoe with outriggers and okay. then a, a pretty, pretty big sail. Okay. Um, you know, there's boats that can be just paddled, boats that can be paddled and sailed, boats that are more sail than paddle boats, but still paddle a bull. And then there's straight up racing sailboats that have like a, you know, an ornamental paddle and they say they can be paddled, but they never touch the paddle. Now, when you say, when you, you say, pad, when you say paddle boat, you, you don't mean, you don't mean like the, 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 the river paddle, boat with a big paddle wheel on the back, or you don't mean the, no, the, the boats no. that you see at a water park where people are sitting and using their feet to paddle. No. You're talking about a paddle, boat like a canoe or a, a kayak. Canoe or kayak style. Paddle. Got it. Okay. I had this image of or, my, or, my, or crew, like a, uh, rowboats, 
right. you know, like a uh, like a rowing skull. Have, mm-hmm. have done done the race before. Yeah, you said paddle boat, and I had this in I, in my mind. I had this vision of this like big yellow rubber duck with a yes. person sitting on it and you know paddling furiously Fears, with his feet. Yeah, exactly. Mile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have to start uh, ten feet above the high tide line, which means in anything you use to get your boat into the water, you have to take with you. So the hardcore racing sailboats have a real hard time getting off the beach. The paddlers just, you know, grab your boat, run it in, you're good. Um, the race is from basically the middle of Tampa Bay on a little island uh, called Fort DeSoto, down the west coast of Florida, uh, and then across through, you know, through the entirety of the 10,000 Islands National Park, Everglades National Park, and into what's called Florida Bay, which is sort of the backside of the Keys. And then the finish line is at Key Largo. The race is an adventure style race. So it has no course line, no required uh, course that you must take. There's three checkpoints along the way, but it's a choose your own adventure beyond past the start line. You go where you want to go, how you want to go. You just got to be to the three checkpoints at certain time frames. Choose your own, choose your own adventure. I like that. Indeed. So you can go offshore, you can stay inland. Because uh, there's a what's called the ICW, the Intercoastal Waterway, uh, and then as you proceed down the race course, there becomes a lot more options and a lot more uh, ways to you know cut through Florida. Uh, it's a a very ingenious race because the first six fifty five miles are through the you know some of the most populous areas of the race, meaning there's the most boat ramps, there's the most ability for rescue. Um, and there's the least decisions navigationally to be made. Um, and then as you go down the race course, the civilization disappears uh, and the wilderness appears. The ability for rescue disappears and also the ability to refill water, which is a big deal. So you have there's uh, at least 100 miles of race course with no ability to refill water. Did uh, Gary Cantrell or Laz Lake help design this course no but there are definitely some parallels to uh uh you know, the three, the that's right oh look at you you know you know where i'm going so yeah 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 yeah. when you get to and the then, three checkpoints do you have to tear out a page from a book no but you have a pithy comment you have to leave in the logbook <laughs> nice so um anyways it's a very unique race that i'd heard about um, through my sailing career and, 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 you know, reading like sailing magazines and stuff like that. Um, it had always been kind of on my bucket list to sail because, you know, I'm a competitive sailor and, uh, and the, the, the records that some of these sailboats have set have been unbelievable. The, um, the fastest sailboat time to go 300 miles. Uh, oh, and I didn't mention the checkpoints are all significantly inland. It's not like on a beach on your way South. You got to come in an inlet at whatever time and then run down the ICW for whatever length and then pull into a marina all under sail and or your paddle uh, and then go back out all along the Florida coast. Yeah. Why make it easy? Well, but it's designed so that the paddler and the sailor can compete so that, uh, you know, because the sailboat's going to go fast, you know, sometimes upwards of, you know, 15, 20 knots. Paddler, you know, you're, you're going to chug at three and a half, four knots max, but 
the checkpoints are on your way because you're already on the inside. You're already staying in the protected water, whereas the sailboats are going offshore, big wind, big speed. Uh, so they lose all their time on the inlets um, and then gain all their time in the open water passages. Paddlers are opposite. So do they have a winner by class or is it just an uh, Correct. overall winner? Well, both, both. They have both. They okay. Have- Class winners and then overall, you know, fastest. Are there some years where a paddler wins it and some years where a sail sailboat wins it? hundred percent. And oh, then wow. every okay. year paddlers and sailors are in the top five for sure. Okay. And do paddlers, do paddlers swear just like the sailors or is it, is that uh probably more, I think more. Suffer. Yes. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> I think the sailors drink more than the paddlers. Okay. Only because, you know, your paddling performance suffers more from drinking than sailing performance. Yeah. And I can imagine paddling, there'd be a lot more swearing. I see how that works. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Well, and it's tidal too. The other, the other part of this is it's tidal. So, at it, you know, any given inlet at any given time, you, you could have three or four knots in your face or three or four knots with you for, you know, a couple miles. So it's a timing, navigation, and fitness all mixed. Not unlike the, you know, a bit Barkley-ish, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of variables. Barkley, though. A lot more people finish than they don't have, you know, one winner every other year or something. <laughs> right. Okay. But uh, so the sailboats can finish fast. The, the current record for a sailboater is uh, one day, two hours, and 12 minutes. 300 miles uh, unassisted. And the paddling record uh, is set by uh, two amazing, as a father-son team, uh, who are both former Army Rangers. Uh, named, their, their tribe name is Iron Bob and the Juice. Iron and, Bob and the Juice. I love it. Yeah. And uh, they did it in two days, 20 hours, and six minutes. No okay. sail, just paddling. Just Which paddling. Is unbelievable. So if you're looking at the at the records for each sail and for paddle, sail the sail record is obviously quicker. Right. But you have, there are certain conditions that have to exist for that to happen, right? Right. Like a meteorological anomaly to set a record. Yeah. Okay. And then the same is could be said with you know uh paddling that while the conditions are slightly different, but for them to set a record, they need very agreeable weather conditions if you got a headwind for two days you're not setting a record yeah and you need favorable conditions or you need iron bob and the juice uh sitting in your boat right yeah right you need uh you know mental fortitude that comes through years of special forces service yes they know how to embrace the suck Right. right. <laughs> that is a skill. That's a skill set yeah. right there. Yeah. 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 Oh, and unbelievable fitness as well. Like they do uh, afternoon paddles that are 50 miles for fun, you know, just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I'm 38 so, years old. I, f- or when I was 38 years old, I figured out that the race was going to occur on my 40th birthday. Um, and at the time, I knew, you know, I could, I for sure could sail the race. Um, not saying it'd be easy, not saying it wouldn't be a challenge. Um, but definitely the more masochistic route is to paddle it. So I decided I was going to paddle the 300 miles of the Everglade challenge that you have to finish, uh, in seven days. 
So that means to finish the race, you need to average 45 to 50 miles a day, every day to finish paddle. And prior to this, what was your long distance paddle day? Zero. <laughs> okay. I didn't even own a paddle boat. I had uh, infrequently canoed uh, when forced to. BS. This is starting to sound like ben, Big Bend National Park all over again. <laughs> yes, but a bit more preparation this time. Okay. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I have a, about a year and a half or so to train paddle. Um, I went to the start of the 2019 race, you know, met a few people, got some tips, got a lot of help from a few of the, you know, more veteran racers. And then uh, set about getting in shape. And so, you know, I bought a rowing machine, uh, started rowing in my garage a lot, training, um, and, you know, did all the, the gear stuff you do, GPS, navigation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so 2020 rolls around in March. Um, I have my boat. So I chose a 18-foot Kevlar canoe uh, made by a company out of Canada, Vancouver, Canada. They're, uh, so it's a, a canoe that looks like a kayak. So it's pointy like a kayak, but mm -hmm. you sit in it and don't wear a skirt. Um, you know, so standard canoe paddle. Um, I actually use both. I use a canoe paddle and a kayak paddle. And then I have a small one meter sail at the front. Now, did you do this solo? Yes. Holy smokes, BS. Solo unassisted. So this is part of the rules I didn't talk about. Your wife can't meet you at some random bridge and drop you a care package. Uh, almost all racers take everything they need. So you're leaving with seven days of food, you know, certainly in the beginning, at least a full day of water, maybe more. And then as you progress down the course, you need more and more water because the distances between stops are longer and longer. What if a stranger were to accidentally nudge the care package off the edge of the bridge just at the right time? I mean, you know, it's <laughs> we're, we're racing for a, a, a necklace here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you really want to cheat, you know, it's kind of your race. It's not like that was choose your own adventure. It is choose your own adventure. So if you choose your adventure that involves cheating, that's up to you. <laughs> The rest so, of us do it not to cheat and yes. for the, you know, for the real adventure. Nice. Of course. Of course. You're a sportsman, true sportsman. And I have to say, this is, did you feel like you'd, you'd bit off more than you could chew? I mean, this is, this yes. is huge. This, I mean, got me awake at night. 300, sure. 300 miles solo and uh, in the Everglades. Yeah. Well, the first part's through very populous south florida but uh you know the, once you the, get to Marco the first Island, part yeah there's nothing so the first 150 ish miles are you know well adventurous through you know if something were to happen you'd be close to be close to civilization for help right there's boat right. ramps there's people there's cell phone service right uh but once you pass marco island that disappears what did your wife think of this uh, she I, helped me I, my life insurance policy. I see you glancing to your right occasionally. So I'm assuming she's in the room with you. No, no. She's no. not listening. No. Okay. All right. No. So she, I'm she just staring at my drink. Okay. She upped your life insurance. Did she think this was an early midlife crisis? I don't know. It's possible, but it's yeah. continued. So maybe her theory is incorrect. Okay. All right. 
All right, continue. So, I, I, I want, yeah. I want to hear more. Yes. Uh, got my boat, got my gear. Um, go to the start line. Now, the Coast Guard mandates that the Everglades Challenge cannot start if there's what's called a small craft advisory, uh, meaning that weather conditions. So this is a thing that's issued by the National Weather Service. Uh, you know, you may have heard in your area, like area lake wind advisories or something like that. Same kind of deal. If that occurs, the race can't start. So they allow people to do what's called Plan B, which is uh, skip the major open water portion. So the race starts in Tampa Bay, which is about a seven or eight mile long open ocean bay. So if you turn right in Tampa Bay, you know, there's no land until you get to Mexico. Um, so the race, the morning the race started for me in 2020, there was a, uh, you know, a weather advisory for small craft. So I chose to skip Tampa Bay and drove, you know, basically seven miles down, down course, um, and then launched on the southern end of Tampa Bay, continued down the what's called the intercoastal waterway, an inland channel running mm-hmm. south. You, know, you still run through a few different bays, but you know nothing huge and nothing with because Tampa Bay is like a shipping port. So not only is there three, four foot waves, but there's thousand foot container ships crossing your path that you must avoid because uh, they're not stopped. Um, and so the first, so I actually don't start paddling till noon. The race is supposed to start at 7 a.m. So I spend, you know, five hours of packing my stuff, putting my boat in my car, driving south, re, you know, assembling the boat, starting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the day is going pretty well. I'm making good speed. You know, it's really windy, obviously, because there's a uh, small craft advisory headed south. Everything's going as planned. Um, you know, wife and kids drive down the course, see me at a bridge. We wave, smile. But they don't give you anything. No. Okay. Other than a little love. That's okay. It. She blew you a kiss. Yes. Yes. And uh, so it's 57-ish miles, I believe, to checkpoint one from the start line. I skipped about five miles of the race. So I got, you know, 52 miles to make it to checkpoint one. Um, That's day one? Day one. So far, so good. So far, so good. Doing okay. great. All right. Um, you know, I'm a big boy. I get hot. Even though it's 50 degrees outside with, you know, a strong wind, I take my waterproof top off. So I just have like a rash guard and, you know, slider shorts on during the day. Uh, life jacket on, you know, with all my safety gear in the life jacket. Keep paddling. Sun goes down. Keep paddling. It starts to get cold you know, eight, nine o'clock at night, I'm playing the game of, oh, you know, I'll stop and put my jacket on at the next boat ramp. And then, you know, oh, I'll stop, you know, at the next place at the next, you know, anyways, this proceeds for a few hours. I have my, uh, like, you, did, you, did, you didn't want to break momentum. You wanted to keep going. You know, I mean, it's uh, same as you running, you know, running and you're like, oh, I'll stop at the next light pole. And, I'll make it to the next light pole. You, know, you play these mental games with yourself. Oh, hey, hang on, BS. When I say I'm going to stop at the next light pole, I might not make it to the next light pole. I, I will stop <laughs> at that light pole if I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is a race. You know, yeah, a, a okay. race I've been training for for you know a year and a half. All right, all right. So we're doing good. Um, I have my maps and tide chart in like a giant Ziploc bag, basically in front of me. It's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, 
I go to change the map page from one to the next and, and my hands are like, like lobster claws. Like I have no dexterity. I can't do it. It's so much so that my tie chart falls out into the water and just like floats away, you know, into the darkness out with the tide out with the tide. And then it clicks in my head like, Oh no, I'm, I'm cold. Like I have, you know, early stage hypothermia, loss of dexterity. Like I'm in trouble. This is bad. I need to go get warm now. So luckily there was a boat ramp, you know, like let's say two or three miles away that I had marked on my chart that I knew about. So I'm headed for the boat ramp. I get to the boat ramp um, and I start doing more dumb shit. So as soon as I get to the, to the ground now, uh, you know, from the waist down, I'm in a warm, cozy Kevlar boat and I only have slider shorts on, you know, underwear basically. So I get to shore. I immediately hop out of my boat. So exposing my lower half to the, you know, 45, 50 degree windy conditions. And then in my head, I'm thinking like, Oh, I need to take my life jacket off to put my jacket on. So then I get out of my boat, take my life jacket off, which is, you know, the other, so now I'm in underwear and a, 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 you know, rash guard, basically already cold. All my warm stuff is inside my boat underneath a waterproof, like snapped on cover, uh, you know, tent jacket, everything that I need to not be cold is, you know, between me and a, a snapped on cover. And after taking off all my insulation and standing up and stopping paddling, I get cold. I start uncontrollably shaking and, you know, like, like second stage hypothermia, uh, which is a problem because I I'm shaking so bad. I can't open the snapped on cover where my jacket is and all my warm stuff is. And now I'm on this boat ramp in the middle of nowhere in Florida at freaking 1130 or 12 o'clock at night. So, uh, the race organizer is a guy called chief. And he writes all these articles about boat safety and all sorts of recovery drills. One of which is hypothermia recovery, which I read and immediately, you know, his words came to me. Luckily I had a Snickers bar laying in the cockpit of the boat. I grabbed the Snickers bar and just like, you know, toothpaste style, squeeze the thing into my mouth, swallow the Snickers bar, start doing jumping jacks till I stopped shaking, which takes, you know, a few minutes, maybe 20 so I get warm enough to stop shaking, open my boat, get my jacket on, you know, get, get some pants on, get warm, stop shaking, set up camp, you know, cook a meal, do my thing. I'm like six miles from checkpoint one. Like I'm real close. I was going to, had I not been an idiot and put on a jacket, I for sure would have made it. So I set up camp there on the boat ramp night one, 50 miles in, you know, recover from mild hypothermia, and I'm from Florida, man. It's, it's, we don't do cold. No. This is a no. new thing for me. Did you have to make checkpoint one by a certain time period? Yes. Oh. 10 a.m. the following morning. Okay. So uh, anyways, I camp, hot meal, but I, I don't get to sleep till probably 2 a.m. Just because I'm cold and I can't warm up. And uh, I also stupidly took just like a a fleece blanket instead of a proper sleeping bag thinking it's, you know, it's March, it's Florida, spring break, Florida. It's Florida. Be hot. Yeah. Uh, not true. 
should have brought, you know, something more. Anyway, so 2 a.m., probably get to sleep. And at 4 a.m., two hours later, somebody's knocking on my tent, which is strange. I'm at a remote boat ramp in the middle of, you know, open up the tent. It's, you know, some poor unfortunate soul who asked me if I have any dust. Uh, yeah. So There's I'm like, plenty uh, of dust. There's dirt all over the place. Take your pick. Right, right, right. We'll skip the explicit language. But basically, I asked him <laughs> nicely to leave, uh, and uh, tried to get tried to roll over and go back to sleep. But I was so you know fired up from this dude waking me up when I'm trying to recover and sleep. So I probably got up at like five. Break camp in the boat six. Make uh, make checkpoint one by I don't know seven thirty eight maybe nine. Okay. Good, decent time, decent time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Still not in real trouble yet. Uh, make checkpoint one, check in. Um, this is where lack of sleep starts kicking in. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be in the Everglades really soon. I need to fill up with water, which is not true. I'm 100 miles from the Everglades or more, 120 miles. So I put two, I took on way too much water. I filled up my 20, liter bladder 100 full totally unnecessarily plenty of places to get water between there and the next checkpoint um so the next checkpoint is at chuckalusky which is um yeah probably 120 miles away day and a half two days bs i am convinced that this is the barkley marathon of watercraft races <laughs> because lack of sleep and decision making is such an important part in both of these this is crazy yeah Yes. Yes. Agreed. But it is nowhere near as hard as a Barkley because while, you know, the Barkley has what, 15 total finishers in 30 plus years. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Around about there. Yeah. The Everly's challenge has like a uh, 40% completion rate average per year and about a hundred people do it every year. So 40 people finish every year. Okay. So, I mean, it's hard, but it's not like an old fat guys do it regularly. So, I don't know. All right, you bur- you're personal, bubble. I'm gonna continue to draw parallels, but you go, you go right ahead with your okay, story. Okay, okay, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with okay, you. Okay, all right. Uh, it's hard, but it's not like, you know, that that level. Okay. So, anyways, um, after you get out of checkpoint one, you do your sort of last required major bay crossing through a piece of water um, called Charlotte Harbor. Uh, at the time, the wind had kind of switched such that Charlotte Harbor was a friggin' washing machine. Uh, you know, three, four foot waves right on the, the beam of the vessel, uh, occasionally rolling into the boat. And this is where I really screwed up. Uh, so at this point, there's sort of three courses you can take. There's two islands that are next to each other in front of you. There's Pine Island and um, uh, what becomes uh sanibel island so you can either go super far east and go east of pine island you can go in the middle and go between pine island and sanibel or you can go offshore and go offshore of sanibel all the sailboats go offshore i like an idiot went between pine island and sanibel thinking i'd have better winds it's a slightly larger bay and i could sail more you know whatever i was on not a lot of sleep mistake that makes sense to me. It didn't work out that way. No, didn't oh. work out. So I get owned in Charlotte Harbor. 
uh, three to four foot breaking waves on the beam. Uh, many, uh, um, I did two or three, what's called a high brace. So when you're canoeing and you have a canoe paddle and your, your paddles over here and there's a huge wave coming to your side, you have two choices. You either lean into the wave and paddle sideways into the wave, uh, and prevent a roll, or you take the roll, you take the wave in the face and possibly roll over the other way. It's called a high brace. So I had to high brace several times going across this bay. Uh, and unknowing to me, filled my boat with water. So I went from carrying way too much water to carrying a ludicrous amount of water. And as you know, water is heavy. So I had 20 liters in a pouch, you know, or a bladder full. And then I probably had another 50 liters of just salt water floating around in my boat. But I didn't know about it because I was all my stuff's in the back of my boat. I'm popping a wheelie. So if I look between my legs, my bilge is dry. Yes, because the back half of my boat is absolutely filled with water and popping a wheelie. So I get through Charlotte Harbor. I enter into the backside of Sanibel Bay. Um, and I like the, the wind direction changes. I got to put my sail down. I'm just paddling into the wind and I can't make speed first, you know, to save my, I'm talking like one mile an hour, which is slow, slow for, you know, I can normally paddle three and a half, four. I'm making one mile an hour. I'm on two hours sleep. I'm hating life. Things are going poorly. I can't figure out why. So I just decided to camp. It's like four to three or four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm just, all right, I'm done. I'm going to camp. So I pull over to this place called North Captiva Island, which is not so legal to camp on, but whatever. Uh, and, you know, this is the beginning of, you know, shallow area. So I run aground about a hundred yards from dry dirt and have to drag my, drag my boat in, into the beach, get to the beach set up camp, open up the back of my boat and find a freaking aquarium back there. And then, you know, then, Oh, no wonder you couldn't paddle. You have a 280 pound boat, you know? So empty all the stuff out, empty the boat out, set up camp. Um, and then walk over the Island and go from the Bay side to the ocean side. At the time there was a strong easterly wind. I'm on the West coast of Florida, which is an offshore breeze. So I walk over to the beach side and it's a whole different world. The ocean is flat like a pool table. There's, you know, just the slightest, you know, pitter patter of wind across the surface. It looks so inviting. And, and so I come up with a bright idea of in the morning, I'm going to paddle in the ocean because there's no waves and it's a, you know, a saleable angle. Uh, so I camp there that night, wake up early strike out at like 4 a.m. thinking I got this. I don't look at my charts that carefully because I got this. And turns didn't out that, didn't didn't they float away? No, that was a tide table. That was a tide table. Okay. All I right. had my charts. And I had two GPSs. I was not getting lost. Okay. I, I was making all these bad decisions intentionally. Um so I make another bad decision to go offshore into the Gulf of Mexico in an 18-foot Kevlar canoe by myself at 4 a.m. in the dark, uh, you know. What could fun. go wrong? What could go wrong? 
Right. Well, what could go wrong is I ran aground a mile and a half offshore. So I'm headed south out of North Captiva, and there's a huge sandbar that extends between North Captiva and South Captiva. It's clearly marked on the charts. Everybody knows about it, except for me, who doesn't look on the chart before I leave in the morning, like an idiot. So it's dark. I'm paddling via headlamp. Uh, and I mean, I'm on dry sand. And I'm so far from shore, the lights on the houses on shore look, look like Lego houses, you know, like tiny little houses far away. And so now I have to get out of my canoe a mile and a half offshore in the Gulf of Mexico at night via headlamp and like walk my boat over the nearly dry sand, praying that I don't step on a stingray or, you know, whatever else, or, you know, fall into some, you know, ocean chasm. That's on the, anyways, long story short, I get back in my boat, keep paddling. How, how wide was the sandbar? uh 60 yards let's say like yeah, dra- you gotta drag your boat 60 yards across the sand to the other side i mean it's not like dry dry you know there's an inch of water or whatever but for sure for sure cussing you know it's 4 a.m i'm tired swearing it's- like swearing like a paddler yeah exactly <laughs> and uh so eventually make it to like you know shin deep water which is enough for me to uh paddle in and uh get in my boat keep going um and everything's sweet till i get to the end of sanibel island which is a coastal west coast florida island that's like four or five miles offshore and it just abruptly ends so when you go past the end of sanibel island you're five miles offshore with a strong easterly wind which is an offshore wind which means i go from being in the lee of you know no waves to five miles of fetch and like three foot waves very abruptly and this sucks i'm no sailor but that doesn't that doesn't sound good no five foot waves on your side is bad juju okay um so sanibel is like a very popular tourist destination and it's known for its shells so there's hundreds of old ladies on the beach with their pails like picking up shells and i'm paddling into you know huge waves right on my nose trying to get around the corner and uh there's this old lady in a like a noticeable red bathing suit that outwalks me she's walking down the beach i'm paddling the whole time i see her from behind me paddling paddling as hard as i can switching sides she outwalks me down the beach so i'm like man this is that's that's got to instill confidence in you yeah 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 yeah. and when you say notice when you say noticeable red bathing suit what, what does that mean exactly you know, you could see it from, from offshore. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you meant the particular style or cut. Yeah. Now you're getting, that's, that's inappropriate dog. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'll dial it back. Go I'll ahead. HR on you there. <laughs> uh, anyway. So I just, I think it's a good, all right, forget it. If she can outwalk me, it's certainly going to be easier to walk down the beach than it will be to try and paddle slower than she's walking. So I come in shore, I go to the end of Sanibel. From the end of Sanibel to the mainland is like a six-mile bay, heavily tidal, strong winds, big waves. It's scary. Uh, Did you grab your boat by by the you know underneath the, the lip and just drag it and run and pass that lady and yell something? You know, I I got you. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm no. faster than you. Yeah, no, no, I was, I was in no mood for noise talking at that point. Plus, they just look at you like, you know, who's this? You know, because this time it is day two, no shower, no deodorant. So I'm, I'm squarely in the homeless paddler category. Yeah, we we talk about hiker trash on the trail. I mean, this would would this be paddler trash or definitely or boat trash? Boat okay, trash, sailor mm-hmm. trash, sailor yeah. trash. Okay. But uh, anyways, look up the tides. Look when it's supposed to be uh, slack tide, minimal movement across the bay. I decide to strike out. I make it across the bay. Um, and now I can enter a pretty long stretch of intercoastal waterway where I can hide from the wind. Everything's good. And like I say, you know, this is like West Coast touristy Florida. So I pull into a resort with a Starbucks and like a, you know, some terrible Mexican restaurant. And uh, so I get a, a quesadilla and two double espressos to go. It's a dinner of champions right there. Dinner. Yeah. Dinner. Town food, as they say, you know, and uh, keep going. I make it all the way to uh, Lover's Key, uh, which is like, a again, a, you know, touristy, no houses, just resorts. Uh, set up camp like a homeless guy on dinner key, uh, get some good sleep, some good rest, strike out again in the morning. Now this is day three or sorry, no day four. Um, have you hit, have you hit all your checkpoints? Yeah. So I made a checkpoint. I've only made it to checkpoint one. This is that's it. Okay. There was no deadline to to make it to checkpoint two. Yeah. Tech checkpoint two is like mile 170. Okay. So you got, so you got I made, time. Yeah, I made checkpoint one on the morning of the second day. And then the uh, the third day is when I got owned around Sanibel and made it to Lover's Key. So now fourth day, um, I kind of had some shoulder pain, but nothing crazy. Uh, and then wake up in the morning, leaving Lover's Key, have a great day. I catch the tide right. I'm, you know, flying out the inlet. I go offshore. I run offshore for, you know, like 50 miles of glory, like perfect beam reach, you know, wind, wind right on the side of the boat, sailing fast, paddling as well, making good miles, crushing it. Uh, I make it all the way down to Marco Island. So Marco Island is the end of civilization. Anything south of Marco Island is... Everglades, mosquitoes, alligators, salt water, no, you know, nowhere to get additional water. It's proper wilderness, no cell phone coverage, no nothing. So I'm flying down the coast, make it to Marco. Uh, shoulders starting to hurt a bit more. Uh, you know, it's Tuesday now. And so I call my short contact, You're required to have a short contact. I find out that the day before when I was getting owned in Charlotte Harbor, there was uh, two or three Coast Guard rescues of Everglades Challenge paddlers who had had problems enough to call for help. I also find out that a, uh, a sailor has been lost offshore and they're like mounting a uh, Coast Guard rescue but there's been no, he hasn't activated his EPIRB, there's been no call for help he just, his, his tracker device just, you know, showed him going in circles like 60, 70 miles offshore. No word from him, but I'm in the maritime industry. 
I know what it means when you've been lost at sea for more than 24 hours and you haven't set off your, I know for a fact he had on his person, an EPIRB in his pocket, in his life jacket. If he didn't set that off, you know, something else happened. Uh, anyways, so I know he's, he's lost at this point. I got a sore shoulder. I'm on the precipice of the unrescuable wilderness. I find out there's been two more, uh, at least two more Coast Guard rescues at the time, right? I got stuff to do on Monday and people counting on me to do it. You know, two little girls at home. I can either turn myself inside out and paddle through the night to make checkpoint two, which is in a place called Chukalusky, which is inland in the 10,000 Isles National Park and extremely tidal. There's only, there's basically two ways to get there, but they're both very tidal. In order to get there and not fight the tide in, you have to arrive at 3 a.m. It's 5 p.m. I'm in Marco Island, which is 25 miles away. So I'll need to essentially paddle through the night to make the channel by three and ride the inland tide in to barely make the time cutoff at checkpoint two. With a, you know, not, I don't want to say I was injured, but I had some shoulder pain. Oh yeah. And a guy died. So I decide to. It's got to play with your head. That's got to play with your head. You know, all all those, all those factors out there. So I decided to tap out, pull into Marco Island, cheeseburger, beer, call my wife. Hey, come get me. Uh, Which I think was a good call at the time for sure. Mm -hmm. But that's how my 2020 Everglades challenge ended. Got it. So it's 300 miles and you did about, was it half of it you got you got yeah, there? Uh, yeah, a skosh more than half, 158. Skosh, skosh yeah. more than half. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you're an efficient paddler and and the, the shortest distance possible, it's only about 285 or 88 miles uh, as a paddler. And sailors, depending on how deep they draw, have to go almost 340 miles because uh, they have, they can't go across Florida Bay; it's too shallow. Got it. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break right there. When we come back, we're going to hear about what, uh, what other adventures and what's next for BS. And we'll, we'll see if we can pin them down on a, a top five list. So stay, stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. You guys are billionaire. All right. Welcome back. So BS's Everglades uh, challenge was unsuccessful. He got through about half of it. Did you ever go back and, and kind of wrap up that second segment in the Everglades? I did. 
this January 2021, me and a group of guys who are, you know, all Water Tribe uh, paddlers uh, started in Chukaluski and then did the entire Wilderness Waterway, which is through Everglades National Park, about 100 miles, and then ended up in Tavernier Key, uh, where one of the guys I paddled with uh, owns and operates a uh, like a ecotourism paddle, you know, SUP, you know, stand up paddleboard shop there. So it was, uh, I think five of us started and then four of us finished one of the, uh, I guess four of us started and three of us, no. Yeah, five started, four finished. Uh, one, uh, a gal who went with us peeled off sort of halfway through and then turned back and, and made it back to her car in Chukaluski. But so we started, you know, sort of a fishing village in Chukaluski, which is, you know, between 10,000 Isles National Park and Everglades National Park on the southwest coast of Florida, which is the start of it's they call it a paddling trail. But, you know, it's 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 called the Wilderness Waterway. It's a 100 mile section of National Park uh, where they're. I mean, there's sort of is dry land, but not really, you know, it's mucky. And, um, and along the way there's campsites, they call them chickies, which are essentially, you know, I, uh, I talked about earlier, but it's a, yeah. a dock with a portalette in the middle and another dock next to it, uh, along the way. And so you have to arrange campsites along the way, you know, very similar to several, you know, hiking national parks where you arrange your, right. uh, your campsites. Yeah. So we averaged about, uh, First day was short, um, and the uh, the first night was pretty exciting. We got you know typical late start. Somebody showed up late, whatever. Paddling into the night, uh, into the Everglades, um, and so we have manatees in Florida, which are also called sea cows. Mm-hmm. And this is like a thousand plus pound, you know, grass eating, friendly little, you know, mitten having. Uh, sea creature they're super nice uh but very much like cows you can sneak up on them when they're sleeping they like to sleep in you know shallow sandy bottom kind of protected areas and obviously paddle boots don't make a lot of noise so the first night i was you know half a mile from where we're going to camp on a chickie and i i paddle up on a two or three sleeping manatees. Now, when you scare a thousand pound plus, you know, sea cow, they will freak out and flap their tail and, you know, take off, you know, think about uh, a wake from a, uh, like a ski boat, but there's no boat. It's just a V shaped wake heading out at you out of nowhere. And then, you know, a flapping tail next to it. Really? I mean, I know, I know what manatees are, but I, I never thought of them as particularly quick uh, or, or uh, like cows. They can be quick for a hundred yards. Okay. They, All they right. peter out quickly. You know what I mean? They're not, yeah. but uh, they can sprint when they need to, especially if you wake them up sleeping. And cause you know, they live their whole lives where, you know, if they're sleeping and they hear a noise at night, sometimes it, you know, is followed by a propeller running down their back and slicing them open. So you know, there's a little manatee PTSD from getting woken up in the middle of the night. Nice. Anyway, right. so Go ahead. I paddle along by myself, dark, headlamps, quiet, Everglades. It's peaceful. It's beautiful. 
And then all of a sudden the water erupts around me with, you know, two foot wake and a flapping manatee tail. Like I, you know, squealed like my three-year-old daughter at a birthday party. <laughs> Anyways, get to the chicky camp first night. It's awesome. Uh, next day, uh, just an inland slog, you know, very little wind, uh, paddling through narrow passages through the Everglades. Uh, it was beautiful. Saw a few alligators. Uh, there's several sections that are sort of spring fed. So it's quite clear water. Um, had an amazing paddle, you know, went to various spots, make it to the next campsite, which was uh, one of the guys birthday that we paddle with Scott uh, base who in the water tribe is known as conquistador. Um, he turned 70 on the trip. Yeah. I was the youngest guy by a lot. And uh, had a little birthday party for him. And he was on a, a stand-up paddleboard. So, like, if you think what I did is, you know, Barkley masochistic, uh, an SUP is, like, times two. Yeah. No sail, lots of windage, you know, extra yeah. hard. Yeah. Did you ever watch World's Toughest Race on, on Amazon Prime? Yes. Yes, I did. Eco Challenge? I watched the Ego Challenge back in the day when it was on CBS or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of of your seventy old seventy year old friend on a on a stand up paddleboard. Yeah, kind of the that different things a, they had to go through. He is a stud. I I bet I bet. So now, hang on, hang on one second, BS. Um, I have to ask: Did I is is the, the vision in my mind of the Pirates of the Caribbean the 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 Bayou? Is that similar at all to the Everglades? Of my no. my way off. That's more like Louisiana bayou type stuff oh no there's there's alligators that sing all over the everglades they serenade <laughs> you the entire length there's no singing alligators on the on the pirates of the caribbean yeah they have alarm clocks in all their bellies they let you know when it's new. yeah that's 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 a different ride that's a different ride but are there people that live in the everglades are there are there no. like houses and well are you okay so there uh there are what they call fish camps so think about it like a shack on a dock in the middle of the Everglades. Um, and at one time people lived in the Everglades, but currently there is only, so, you know, have you seen the show, the last Alaskans? No. Okay. So it's a discovery. Anyway, there is grandfathered in cabins that are privately owned inside the national park. Uh, that are called fish camps and those do exist and they're private property. You're not allowed to camp on them. So there are habitations, but no okay. permanent residence, but there were previously, uh, you know, 1900s, uh, late 1800s people who like homesteaded there. Uh, and there's some really good stories, you know, uh, there was actually a, a serial killer that lived in the Everglades. No. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he would uh, grow sugarcane and then make moonshine from the sugarcane. And then, uh, so he would go to town and get like a, uh, his name is Watson, and got a, uh, he'd go get a, a you know, a, a, a farmhand for the season to come out to his camp out in the middle of the glades. Say he's going to pay him whatever for the season, do the harvest, run the liquor or whatever, whatever. Never came back to town. This happened, you know, five, six, seven, eight. I don't know the exact number, but enough to get noticed times. They, they finally caught on, huh? Yeah. So the townspeople went out and lynched him. 
drug him, drug him back to town, public hanging, uh, a guy named Watson. So you can drive, you can, you can paddle to Watson's place, which is a, a ruin of his, uh, homestead, which still has his, you know, water cistern to catch water. And like that, you can see where his cabin was and the flat spot where his, uh, crops were. So nobody lives there now. But. Sounds like a perfect opportunity to have a, a haunted tour of Watson's homestead. Right. Only yeah. it's, uh, you know, 80 ish mile or not 80, but probably 50 ish miles from the next inhabitable place. You got to work. To, you got to work to go see it. Yeah. It's not a, uh, it's not somewhere you can get to without earning it. That's, got it. that's sure. Okay. And so, so you're, uh, you're paddled to, from Chukaluski to Key Largo, successful without... Successful, uh, yes. Very good. Had a great time. Saw some beautiful places. Uh, really no, no major drama, no issues. Gear be- was dialed in. Because there was no major drama, did you have any regrets on your decision to, to stop uh, during the Everglades Challenge at that, at no. that, that spot? Uh, no. I, I, look... You know, like I said, I, I had people waiting on me at home, you know, kids, wife. Uh, there is zero regret in my mind from the tap out that I made. You know, Perfect. it's my goal was to get home and secondarily to finish. So I made my first goal. I got home. So I know zero regret from tapping out early. And it sounds like you had 300 plus miles worth of adventure slash misadventure Uh Pile all, all compacted into that first half of the race. Yeah, maybe more. Maybe maybe, maybe more. It sounds like a lot like uh, type two fun, possibly type three fun. Well, we're talking about it now, so it disqualifies it from type three. Okay. Are you are you an expert on the different types of fun? Uh I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of the podcast, so I'm I'm aware. So of you the know. Okay. Jargon. Very good. Ginger balls uh, filled me in on that. I had no idea that, that even existed, but once I found out about it, it pops up everywhere. Everybody, everybody everybody's talking really, about it. I mean, I am a type two fun aficionado. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm into it, but type three fun. Yeah. You know, we try and avoid that. Yes. Yep. All right. What, what's next for uh, BS? What, what's on your radar? So immediately next, uh, and, you know, partially inspired by, uh, listening to your podcast and other, uh, you know, hiking media, uh, some friends of mine decided to hike a 50 mile section of the Appalachian trail. So that's going to happen in September. Um, we're going to go from, uh, a a 50 mile section in Vermont. So I'm going to fly into New York. We're going to carpool up to Manchester, Vermont, and then stay at a hostel like near the trail and hike from Manchester up to Killington. Uh, you know, not, it's not the hardest hiking ever, but, uh, we're going to do four days, you know, for us, for us, uh, sea level folks, the altitude may be a thing. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. And the best part is the trail where we're going to end ends at an Irish pub in, uh, Killington. Perfect planning right there. I'm so excited. Nice. And that is, does that overlap with the long trail? It does. It does. So the, the lower section of the long trail, uh, mirrors the AT, uh, there's some deviations cause the, the AT shifts around every, you know, where they, they change it, they update it or whatever. 
uh, the long trail is fixed. It stays, you know, long trail is the long trail doesn't move. It's, it, it is what it is. So there's some sections where they diverge and then reconnect, but um, it's literally like around the left side of the right side of a mountain. It's not, uh, it's not a serious change, but I'm All pretty right. So this episode that we're, we're recording right now comes out on September 25th. When do you leave on your trip? So I fly out the 24th. Oh, so the 25th will be my first day on trail. Okay. So hopefully you'll have some signal. You can download the episode and listen to it on the, on your hike or at least, at least in camp. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I will likely save it for my flight home. Okay. Any desire whatsoever to take another crack at the Everglades challenge, do the full thing in, in one, one fell swoop. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, my uh, redemption year, Everglades Challenge, will be 2022 in March. Um, I'm training currently uh, for it. And, you know, with a little luck and some uh, better decision-making, I uh, hope, hope to complete the uh, 2022 Everglades Challenge. And this will be a, a, a fun year because the, the boat that I sail in, the 18-foot um, clipper canoe, there will be – uh, three of us in identical boats with an identical sail, which means we'll have our own subclass. So I'm pretty excited about that. Okay. Well, you know, wisdom is gained from uh, making mistakes. So you are a very wise man. You've been through, <laughs> you've been through it once and you can apply that, that newfound knowledge to the, the challenge in 2022. And you have to promise right now that you come back on the podcast and talk, uh, talk about the experience and take us through it. All right. Scout's honor. I okay. will come back. All right. All right. Hey, let's do a, a quick top five list. Uh, you are Florida-based. We're talking about adventure. What are, what are the top five adventures to take in Florida? Should somebody get there? Well, number one, definitely. The Wilderness Waterway through uh, Everglades National, there is uh, plenty of outfitters that can set you up with all the gear you need. There are chickies or, you know, campsites, if you will, um, every five to seven miles. So you don't have to be an Olympic paddler to make it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, it's wild. And uh, it's you know, if you're, you know, on spring break in Fort Lauderdale, it's an hour and a half drive away. Okay. That, that's one. I'd say two would be uh, Penny Camp Park in Key Largo, which is uh, some of the best snorkeling in the Keys. And if you're a bit more adventurous, uh, as I am, some of the best wreck diving uh, on the planet. There's several large uh, ones, a Navy ship and a Coast Guard ship intentionally reefed designed for wreck diving beautiful very worth it um okay you said wreck diving i thought rec like recreational but you were talking no, w-r-e-c-k I mean, shipwrecks. shipwrecks got it okay wreck diving yeah, yeah all right that's two yep uh i would say three would be a river called the peace river um this is a fun kayak, a canoe kayak river, not technical, no rapids, but um, it just so happens is this river transits through a sedimentary layer that is filled with uh, fossils and shark teeth, megalodon teeth. Um, again, plenty of outfitters. You can rent all the stuff you need. 
And you can stop along the way on these gravel bars and shovel gravel into a sieve and sieve out fossilized shark teeth, megalodon teeth, you know, mastodon teeth that are the size of a brick. Uh, amazing fossils. I've only done it once, but I, I took my six-year-old daughter. It was amazing. We found a, a megalodon tooth, you know, like a two and a half inch, three, you know, three inch tall shark tooth. That's however many thousands of years old. Amazing. Nice. And you can camp on the end. Okay. So I'd say uh, four uh, would be the Springs. So Florida is the only place on the planet uh, that has as many naturally occurring Springs in such a small area. Uh, They're all 72 degrees year round. uh, Just cool, fresh, clean water that, emanates from the earth um my favorite of which is called wiki watchy spring wiki watchy wiki watchy wiki watchy okay all right uh and this has been a tourist attraction uh since the early 50s president kennedy actually went there so uh the spring source is this you know cavern into the water into the earth that uh, an immense amount of water flows out of and they built a underwater amphitheater basically where they have a uh you know a mermaid show and you can see uh you know these women dress up as mermaid to do a little show it's awesome president kennedy went there that's the that's the disneyland attraction that i'm thinking of (laughs) yep and then you can rent a canoe and then canoe down crystal clear 72 degree water um that eventually ends up in the ocean so uh in the river you'll see manatee sea otter um, you know, snook, um, tarpon, all sorts of big ocean fish in perfectly clear water. BS, you keep saying 72 degree water like that's warm or something. That, that's no, it's, 72 it's, degrees. That's it's cold. Beautifully, it's beautifully cold. It's refreshing. So when it, yeah, when it's, when okay. it's muggy, just sweaty, nasty, because most rivers in Florida, most water in Florida are equally bathwater-ish. Oh, okay. Isn't so refreshing. Right. But you hop into 72 degree, you know, perfectly clear water. It's, you know, unbelievably. And there's like a microclimate around the river because it's cool. So if you camp near the river, even in the summer, it's drastically cooler. Okay. Good tip right there. How about number five? Uh, Number five, I would say uh, 10,000 Islands National, just north of Everglades National. Or uh, 10,000 Islands State Park, not national. And uh, this is great because there's 10,000 Islands and there's no permits required to camp. So you can just rent a boat or get a boat, take your boat and go camping on any of these beautiful white sandy beaches uh, with no permit and no, no nothing. Just get your stuff and go and leave when you're done. And it's awesome. Which of the 10,000 is your favorite? I've only camped on rabbit and I think one other. Are they rabbit. all, na- are they all named? Yes, they are all. No way. Well, I mean, maybe not all, you know, the big ones are named. Okay. All right. I was, I was pulling your chain, but uh, you had an answer ready for me. So that, that kind of backfired. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, cartographers need a job too. <laughs> okay as do marine engineers that's right okay hey bs you know where we are no i don't you don't 
We are at that time. With you, of course, you do. We are at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. What what nugget of wisdom do you have to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? So uh, less less wisdom, more advice. So I'm a working stiff with two kids and a wife that I love dearly. Uh, a job that I spend too many hours working at, um, but. I take great pleasure in getting out there and, you know, having outdoor adventure. And the only reason that I have time or the ability to do it is not because I have some special job or, you know, immense financial resources. It's because I make it a priority. It's because I schedule it. I, you know, intentionally make sacrifices in the weeks that I don't go out there to make it a priority. And uh, you know, to all the listeners out there that, that want to get out there and are just listening to this podcast, like myself to get your outdoor fix Monday through Friday. Um, you know, we only get so many trips around the sun, so let's, let's make all your laps count and, uh, make it a priority and it'll happen if you do. That's right. If, if you had, if you were to wait until there was nothing interfering or, or getting in the way, you might not ever take that trip. You've got to make it a priority and say, you know yeah. what? I'm going to put this first this weekend or this week, and we're going to do this and uh, go have that experience because you're right. Life is short and you need to uh, live that life. Because nobody regrets not buying the bigger TV or the, you know, should have gone out one more time with my friends. No. Everybody regrets the, oh, I wanted to hike the AT. I, you know, wanted to do a long trail or the, you know, the, the John freaking Muir trail. And, uh, you know, those things only happen if you make them a priority. So make them a priority. That's right. After your 50 miles on the AT, you're going to make the, uh, the JMT a, a priority for yourself. That's the plan. Okay. Uh, so one of the, one of the, one of my buddies who's doing, doing the trail with me, this is kind of a warm up, you know, gear shake out. Uh, so the plan is JMT 2023, maybe 2024, depending. Uh, so that was the idea, but, um, you know, in listening to, I forget the podcast, it was a gentleman who, oh, the, the photographer who did the amazing book. I forget his name. Josh Endress. Endress. Yes. I may take his route of the slightly less traveled, easier to get a permit in the same area, you know, Sierra kind of, cause the JMT, the permit process is like daunting. Yeah. It's like getting the golden ticket. If you're, if you're trying for happy Isles to Whitney or Whitney to happy Isles, that exact route, it's, uh, it's tough to get, but there are lots of other trails that you can enter, you know, near those points and hike through. Yeah. And maybe we'll do the, uh, the midpoint North or South and then do it over two years, just cause a week and a half is a lot easier to swing than, than four. Now you're talking my language. That's my specialty. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with BS. I want to thank you for joining us this week. Uh, Buffalo Soldier, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? So I am old and antiquated. So I'm only on Facebook. Uh, I occasionally post videos on Facebook of my paddling adventures. And I am often on other people's uh, YouTube posts and paddles. Um, but yeah, just, just Facebook, Brian Sheridan, facebook.com. Okay. 
Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook as well, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and believe it or not, TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamira at gmail.com. BS, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for some type of adventure media that's going to help our listeners stay connected to the outdoor uh, outdoors. Uh, we're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Twofold. Um, one of the guys I did the January paddle with, um, Scott Bass, also known as Conquistador, uh, has a great YouTube channel called, I, I actually wrote it down, Sup. I don't have it written down. Oh, so yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a great paddle um, movie about the Everglades Challenge called The Challenge. It's on YouTube. Uh, and then if you look up Paddle, the Florida Keys, uh, or SUP, like all caps, SUP uh, Challenger is Conquistador's YouTube channel. He's, he's awesome. And then there's actually a video of the January paddle on there. All right. Let's check that out. He, he, sounds, he sounds pretty epic. Yeah, he's he's uh, done the EC, the Everglades Challenge four times on a sup. I think the only person to do it that many times on a SUP. He did the uh, there's a Kruger Waddell Challenge in Minnesota that's I think 280 miles uh, with a bunch of portages between lakes. He's done that, uh, and he's done the Yukon uh, 1000 a thousand mile paddle race down the Yukon river in Alaska. Wow. Amazing guy. Yes. All right. And before we, before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? Uh, Oh, so the water tribe was sort of inspired by a guy named Verlin Kruger. And this is his book. Um, so Verlin Kruger. All things are possible. All things are possible, right? Verlin Kruger paddled 100,000 miles in a boat he built himself out of Kevlar. He's from Michigan. Um, and a lot of these long distance paddle races are based on his actual course uh, through the United States. He paddled from the tippy top of Alaska down to uh, the southern tip of uh, Chile, South America. All self-propelled, no sail, just a paddle. Um, All Things Are Possible by Verlin Kruger is an amazing read. And he didn't start paddling until he turned 40 years old. That is crazy. And like I said... Like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, you know, it, outside adventure is a tree, and this is a fantastic branch that we have kind of uh, taken a little side trip down to hear about paddling and aquatic adventures. Uh, very, very worth the time. I really appreciate you coming on. BS. Thanks, Doc. Good to talk with you, and uh, I look forward to some great content from the John Friggin Mir Pod. Thank you. Uh, that's a wrap from the John Friggin Mir Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Brian? Just to my beautiful wife uh, who lets me go on these adventures and to my parents who started the adventure for me. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. 
It doesn't even care if you are carrying a ludicrous amount of water after a day of high bracing to avoid rolling in Charlotte Harbor. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thank you.